it might be one of the most underestimated forces that is at work in our life all the time. You, you can't really see it, but you definitely know when it's there. And you can't touch it, but you, you better hold on to it. It's hope. And when you think about how powerful hope is in our life, when you really begin to think about it, you begin to understand how important it is to us. You know, I'll, I'll just be real honest with you. The enemy is always at work in our lives to, to try to destroy it. Scripture says it very clearly like this, that the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, but I came so that you can have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly or however you want to translate that. And so what we see is there's a picture that there's an enemy always at work to cause difficulty, pain, distress, life. But the enemy doesn't just go directly at us all the time. He works. The more I've studied it, the more I will tell you that what comes at us from the side sometimes, and the more I've thought about it this week, and the more I've studied it, the more I will tell you that what gets under attack most of the time in our life is hope. And the truth is, because when we lose hope, that's the end. When hope is absent, it's over. I mean, think about it. When, when, when we've lost hope, when, we, when hope is absent, it's done. You might as well just write it off and, and just forget about it. You know, and it's the, like I said, it's an area that the enemy concentrates a lot of effort because if he can steal your hope, then the game's over. Just think about it this way. When you can't see a way out of things, when you have had circumstances come up in your life and, and things necessarily aren't going like you thought they should, like they could have gone, or maybe something happens that you don't like, you really only have a couple of choices. Uh, you really either give up and think, well, this is hopeless and this is worthless, this isn't you know, worth my time or anything, or you lean in and you begin to say, okay, God, this isn't how I wanted this to work, but what are we going to do here? You see it a lot this time of year, just to be real honest with you. If you are a fan of football, you can watch the stand, belief in what's going on. It's just amazing. You can see, you, you, we all know how to do it. We watch a game or we watch life, or especially on the field, you kind of get to a point. Sometimes you look and you go, well, this is hopeless. And people start packing their stuff up and walking out. Or then you have those people who hang on to the end. And sometimes they see the most incredible comebacks ever. You know, and sometimes people miss out on that because they just, they just want to give up. But I think about that even more. A, a true fan or a true follower of a team, they don't just stick it out to the end of the game. You know, sometimes even when the game ends in a defeat, a true fan, a true follower is always holding on to hope, right? Well, there's next game. Or, well, we'll do this next time. And maybe even when the season gets to a point, that you're going, well, we're not going to make the playoffs. A true fan, a true follower is going, there's always next year. We can get better. Maybe we can draft somebody better. Maybe we can do something different. Maybe this will change. A true person always has this ridiculous amount of hope in these things. But, you know, just kind of the casual follower gets distracted by some things or gets inconvenienced sometimes by life or things don't end up going the way that they want. And they go, this is hopeless. I'm out. I'm not wasting my time on this anymore. Hope is the central idea behind the passage we're going to read today. It's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're continuing the series called Invited to Life. And the life that Jesus invites us to is a full life. It's an abundant life. And specifically, he invites us to a life of hope. 
And I'll tell you about this passage. It's a passage that typically uh, gets read or preached at times at, at funerals. And, and it's one of those that I told my Bible study class this morning, you know, we're preaching through uh, the books of the Bible. I don't just kind of pick randomly the things we're going to preach. We, we go through the totality of God's Word. And so you come to this passage, and here's what I said this week. I went, well, I talk about this at funerals all the time. Well, what am I going to say when it's not a funeral? And then it's like, well, this is not just about a funeral. It's about life. It's about living. It's about how we carry ourselves. This is what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. Paul's writing to the church. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep. And what he means is those who have passed away, those who have died. He says, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have what? What are those next two words? Who have, who have no hope. What Paul's saying here at this point in time is, look, hey, church, what's happening in their life at this point in time is this is the early generations of all the New Testament books. It's written at a point in time when, when some of the early generations of the church had actually been alive when Jesus walked on the earth. And they understood that Jesus had ascended into heaven and he was coming back again. But then they're standing around looking at things coming back. And he hasn't come back to pass away. And they're going, but Jesus said he was coming back. And he hasn't come back. And now these people are passing. What, what are we supposed to do? This isn't working out the way that I thought it was going to. You ever uttered those words? And this is what they're saying. And, and so they're, they're starting to get a little discouraged. And so Paul writes to them. He goes, oh, no, no, no. You don't need to grieve like those who have no hope. He did not say don't grieve. He said when you grieve, don't grieve with hopelessness. Because, yes, some people have passed on and we miss them and our heart hurts for them. Or sometimes we face difficult situations and it brings about pain and it brings about hurt in our life. And we're going to have to walk through those things. I want to be very clear. As a follower of Jesus Christ, it does not exempt you from pain, loss, grief, suffering, none of those things. We will all still face those things. But what Paul is saying, but you don't have to face them with hopelessness. You face them with hope. He goes on to say this. This is why we have hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we say this to you by a word from the Lord, who are still alive at the Lord's coming and will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What's Paul saying? He's saying, church, we believe in a God who rose again from the dead, and so if we're getting distracted and discouraged by those who have fallen asleep, using his words, those who have passed on, we need to understand that we are following a God who's overcome the power of death. And so if God raised himself from the dead, he will certainly raise these from the dead, and we will all be together, so do not lose your hope. Most of the time we lose our hope because things aren't turning out. A lot of times the enemy doesn't attack our
and we get discouraged and we tend to start falling away. A lot of times the enemy doesn't attack our faith. He doesn't bring us to doubt. He goes right for our heart and hits us in a place where we go, this seems kind of hopeless. This seems kind of discouraging. Do you want to hold on to your hope? And so Paul says, those things are going to happen in life and you are going to grieve. But when you grieve, don't grieve hopelessly. In this instance, Paul's talking about grieving the loss of loved ones. But that's not the only thing in our life that causes us to grieve, right? Sometimes we grieve because, you know, we miss someone. Sometimes we grieve because, you know, we see somebody making choices in their life that we don't think are the right things and we love them so much we don't want them to go there, but there's nothing we can do about it and our heart hurts for them. Sometimes we, we just grieve because some things are sad or we look at the condition of the world. We're going to grieve. And so we need to understand that as a believer, when we face those difficulties, when we have that grieving, we grieve with hope. What he wrote back at the very first of the book, as he's talking to the church, he says, man, I'm so thankful for the church. I'm so thankful for what they're doing in Thessalonica. And these are the words he says in verse 3. We recall in the presence of God, of our God and Father, the work of the church, the work produced by faith, the labor motivated by love. And then he says these words, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What's he saying? He says, church, you keep on doing the things that God has called you to do because your endurance and the ability to put one foot in front of the other and to get out of bed in the morning and find a reason to smile and find a reason to keep on, your endurance is inspired by the hope that you have that Jesus is who he says he is. He can do what he says he will do. He's risen from the dead. He's coming again. He'll take us back with him. And if he's already overcome death in this life, then there's nothing that we're going to face in this life that he can't overcome anyway. And that's why we continue to get up and move forward with hope. That's what he's saying. So what God's word is telling us today and what some of you need to hear, stick with it. Keep moving forward. Hang in there. See it through. Don't stop what you've started just because something didn't work out the way you wanted it to. Take it to the next level. Double down on your faith. Lean into God. Let him work. And I'll say it this way. Allow God to demonstrate his power in your life by moving you through a difficult circumstance that you didn't want to be in. And I'll say that again. Allow God to demonstrate his power in your life by allowing him to walk you through a difficult circumstance that you did not want to be in. Because it's in that moment that you begin to understand that God is bigger than the circumstances that you face in life. And as God walks you through one circumstance and you see his power at work, then the next time that you face a difficult circumstance, it's a little bit easier, not always easy, but a little bit easier to go, well, God got me through that, and if he can get me through that, then he can get me through this, and I have hope in the power of Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection, and I can continue to put one foot in front of the other, and I can actually live my life in hope that God is going to be bigger than anything that I face. Why can we do those things? Let me just say it this way. It's because the resurrection changes everything. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that changes everything. Because here's the truth. Many people were crucified before Jesus was crucified. And many people were crucified after Jesus Christ was crucified. 
But none of them had three days later walked out of the grave alive. And it's in that moment that all of the hope in our faith and in our belief in Jesus Christ sprung forth because we now believe that if God can overcome death, then he can overcome anything. And it's in that hope it builds the foundation for our faith. So understand that the enemy is at work all of the time targeting your hope. Trying to convince you that, well, you're the only one dealing with that. Well, nobody else thinks that way. Well, you're all there alone. Well, hey, that's really not going to work out. Like, well, you should just give up on that. Well, all of these little messages that he's tried to send your way are trying to attack your hope. But you, what you need to remember is that we serve and follow and believe in a God who overcame the power of sin and death. And three days after the crucifixion, he got up and he walked out of the grave. He ascended into heaven. He is alive. He is in charge. He does love us. He does lead us. And the more that we lean into him and follow him, the more that his power is demonstrated in our life and we begin to see miracles happen. That's how it works. You see, Romans 8, 24, Paul writes these words. Now, in this hope, we were saved. The hope seen is not hope. Because the one who hopes for what he's already seen. Now, if we hope for what we do not see, if we hope for the things that we don't see, he says that we wait eagerly for it with patience. And I agree with most of that. We wait eagerly for it. Sometimes with patience. Because we all struggle with that. Because what's the truth? We want to see things resolved. Amen? Oh, yeah, Pastor, I understand I'm going to have to walk through a difficult time, but can that end by noon today? Because i got other stuff I'd like to get through. I mean, me too. None of us want to get up in the morning and go, yay, I get to go through difficulties. But what Paul says is because of what Christ has done and because of the power of who he is, you can face the difficult times in life with hope that God's going to see you through. And as he sees you through, it grows your confidence in him. As your confidence in him grows, you lean more into him. And this whole thing begins to work more and more. That's why we see people all the time who, who don't necessarily follow Christ. They believe in Jesus, but they don't follow him. And their life is powerless because they go, I've never really seen God do anything. Well, have you, have you always, every time then, tried to take over every time something goes wrong in your life? Now I'm meddling. Sorry. But it's the truth, because most of the time when difficulties happen in our life, we feel like, and that's not it at all. I can't believe this happened. I've got to get this back under control. I, I, I've got to get to work at this, and that's not it at all. You see, we live in a culture that tries to push on us this idea of we've got to be independent. We've we got to take care of ourselves, and nobody else is going to take care of us, and I got, I've got to do this. Can I tell you something? Scripture, is, I think, is explicitly clear that the more you read it, if you truly want to be independent from other people, there's a way it can happen. Be totally dependent on God. That's the path to genuine independence. And I actually believe that's a good thing. Now, I, you, you hear me all the time. I say that God created us to be dependent on him and interdependent on one another. But let me explain what I mean by that. God created us and we would be nothing without him. So you are dependent on God whether you believe in him or not. But he created you in such a way that the more you're dependent on him, then the more independent you become from needing things from other people. 
and you get everything that you need from God so that your interactions with other people become more like this. I can overflow the blessings of God from my life into their life. I don't need anything from you. I just get to, if we were in such a place, in a blessing to you. And it, can you imagine the world if we were in such a place where everybody was totally dependent on God and interacting with one another out of the overflow of the blessings they were receiving from the Lord rather than looking at somebody going, I need something from them. You don't think about how often you need something from other people. I don't either. Until they take it away. And then you kind of get mad about things or you, you begin to worry about things. And I, I said this last week, I'll, it's worth repeating. In every relationship, and my wife and I... <clears throat> even talk about this all the time in my marriage relationship. The more I can be dependent on God, of, on God and independent from needing things from her, the healthier my marriage is going to be. The more I can be dependent on God and independent of my needs for things from my friends, the better and healthier those relationships are going to be. The more I can be dependent on God to supply my needs and not look for broken and hurting and grieving people to try to supply the things that I need, the better off I'm going to be. And the more that I have that, then the more that I get to interact with other people out of the overflow of what God is doing in my life. And let's make no mistake, we always interact with people out of an overflow. We're always overflowing something on somebody else's life. Whether it's the package of sewage that's coming up out of our life, or whether it's the overflow of blessings, we're giving it away. To somebody else. So the path to total independence is to be totally dependent on God, not just to be the stronger self. You see, Jesus even said he didn't need the testimony of men. He says in John 2, 23 and 25, while Jesus was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival, many people believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Jesus, however, would not entrust himself to them. Why? Since he knew them all. And because he did not need anyone to testify about man, for he himself knew what was in a man. Jesus said, I know what's in the hearts of men, and the things that I do aren't because of your praise or your instruction or your leading. He says, the only things that I do, I do because I see the Father doing. John 5, 19, Jesus replies, truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on his own, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does these things. Jesus said, I don't live my life looking at men to give me the permission. That's what I do. Now, that I need in life, I only keep my eyes on the Father. What I see him doing, that's what I do. Now, in doing so, didn't Jesus overwhelmingly love the people he came in contact with? Yes. So that's the godly independence. Godly independence says I receive everything so much from God that I'm so well taken care of that I can now live my life striving to be a blessing to others as opposed to the independence that says I don't need you, I don't want you, and I can do without you. That's a worldly independence. That's a false independence. But the independence that comes from God says I get everything I have from God so that I can be a blessing to those I come in contact with. So honestly, we all need to work on our dependence. We need to continue to lean into God and be more dependent on him. Because think about it. Back to this idea of the enemy 
attacking our hope. What happens when life gives us a curveball? Just think about it. Most of the time, what happens? Many times our first inclination is to try to take over or to throw up a defense or to question or to criticize or to control when what we really should do, and I understand this might make a great bumper sticker, but it's hard to, le- it's hard to actually live out, is that when things get difficult, what we should really do is lean into God and enjoy the ride and watch him work instead of feeling like that we now have to take over because things aren't going in a good way. That's why I say let God show you his power by leading you through a difficult circumstance that you didn't want to be in. Find a way to face that circumstance with joy, to be a blessing to others in the midst of it, and see what God will do at the end of it. Let your endurance be inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, just like Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Because when we do things the other way, when we try to take control, when we try to get bitter or we get frustrated or we start talking to one another about, I can't believe this person did that, I can't believe that, I don't know why this is going to go, and blah, 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 we just get all that way. You know what all that really is a sign of when you step back and you think about it? It's a sign of someone who's losing hope. And we don't like to lose hope. And so we try to do anything to hold on to that hope. But when we hold on to the hope that comes in Christ, then the circumstances become secondary. Loss of hope happens when we don't see the way out, but understand that we follow a God who is never lost. So why would we put our faith in ourselves when we don't know the way instead of in a God who is never lost? Because God is the God of hope. God's a God of hope. Scripture says this over and over. I want to share several verses with you as we wrap up this thought today. Romans 12, 12 tells us this in prayer. Do you see what all is blended together in that verse? Rejoice in hope while you're patient in affliction. They're blended together again. You're going to go through difficulties. You're going to grieve. You're going to hurt. You're going to have loss. But in the midst of that, you rejoice in the hope that comes in Christ. We rejoice because we trust that God will see us through We don't rejoice only when we've made it to the other side. We rejoice in the journey. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by you faking it till you make it, Not by you putting on a false face, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit because of our belief and faith and trust in God that we're filled with the Spirit of God and then that's where true hope and true joy comes from and then we live in that way that we overflow that onto other people. Hope leads to joy. Are you living in joy? Or are you critical and biting and defensive and sarcastic? Or in other words, are you hopeless? You ever thought about it that way? Because it's the truth. And so we don't like to be hopeless. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. And this isn't some name it and claim it theology. This is a genuine belief that God will see me through any and every circumstance that life will throw my way. But you only see that when you actually let God lead. When you determine that your situation 
is beyond God's ability to work, and you're packing up your stuff, and you're heading to the car, and you're leaving the situation because you think, okay, God's done in here, you miss the comeback. You miss the miracle. You miss the thing that everybody gets to talk about and go, you will never believe what happened. I can't believe it worked out, but it did. But so many times we give up just short of seeing a miracle. Have you ever thought about this? Just honestly. When people talk about even a sporting event, and they go, you'll never believe that comeback is a miracle, right? And then people go, why don't we see miracles today? Well, usually because we give up just short. Allow God to be able to put us in a place where we go, I never thought this would work out. Didn't see a way out of it. But here's what I did. I leaned into God of what God's timing should be. Okay. Because God's timing is perfect, not our idea of what God's timing should be. And when we continue to lean into that, and when we have hope, and we have hope in Christ, not hope in ourselves, not hope that that other person will change. <laughs> Let me say that again. Not hope that that other person will change. But our hope is actually in Christ. That's when we begin to see the things happen. That's when he changes our heart, our view, our way of seeing things, and we begin to see miracles happening. But you only see it when you let God lead, not when you're in the lead. 1 Peter 1.13, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter's saying is here, be a person that's ready to respond because of the hope that you have in Christ, based on a hope that only comes in knowing Christ. And I'm not talking about a, a, a hope that just seems silly to other people, that just is, is kind of this, okay, that's kind of a shallow hope. And what I, I, let me say it this way, not the kind of hope that goes up to someone who's really struggling and hurting and pats them on the back and says, well, God's going to have a reason for this. One day you'll know and walks off. But the kind of hope that goes up to a person who's hurting, who's struggling, and looks at them and says, I'm going to walk with this through you, and we're going to see what God's going to do. Be that kind of hopeful person. Be that kind of person who overflows hope into other people's lives. And I think the psalmist says it in one of the most powerful ways in Psalm 33, 22. When he writes these words, may your faithful love rest on us, Lord, for we've put our hope in you. Our hope's in you. So God, because our hope's in you, let your love rest on us. You are invited to life, and you are invited to hope. And, and not just in the hope of an idea, but in the hope of a person who is alive, who has overcome sin and death, and who offers you the opportunity to experience life that goes beyond anything that you could imagine. But are you accepting that invitation?